And welcome back, sports fans. It's another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess here, and as always, joined by my faithful co-host, Mr. Brad Cross. And Brad, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing well, Donnie. I, I'm kind of recovering after a, a little bit of a sad weekend. I went down to see Sporting KC, my beloved Sporting KC, played the Seattle Sounders, and we couldn't get the job done. And then to comp- to compound that, uh, I'm also a, a tragic Minnesota Viking fan, and they ended up winning. <laughs> the, the one time they get a win is when I'm down watching another type of football, seeing that team lose. So I, I didn't get to see the Vikings win. Meanwhile, seeing Sporting lose. So a little bit of a sad Sunday, but uh, it, it was a crazy weekend all, all around otherwise. So we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, you, you got to pick your poison when it comes to it. Sometimes when you are a multi-sport athlete, I know, I know the pain there. Sometimes when you got to watch Iowa, and then as as the hockey season comes on, the Sabers are on. So you got to choose which one you're going to pay attention to the most. Let's jump right into our game plan for this episode. A lot of football, a lot of football going to be talked. We will start off with football. We have domestic league. We have champions league. We have Europa league and we have MLS to go over and we have college. We go to college football where we have some marquee games that we need to discuss how the rankings have changed because of those results. And then a preview of some very interesting week of football games in college football this season. And we will end our episode with the footy. The grand final has come. It has gone. We have named and we have crowned a premier we will talk about that game how it went how it turned out how this season kind of goes as a whole our thoughts on that and then a real quick kind of look at what we're looking forward to when it comes to the off season and we end our episode as usual with brad's crazy stat of the week sir let's jump right into it to the football and you know we got to jump into the domestic leagues first Let's see. Let's start with League uh, in the French League and how this round turned out. We'll look really quickly here at the table. And as per usual, we kind of see a lot of the same things happening when it comes to the table here in League uh, PSG at the top with a nice little lead. But we're, we're seeing some jumps for some teams we usually expect with Marseille and Nice there in third and fourth. Yeah, it was a really interesting match day, and the the big result for me was on Sunday, right? The last game of the match day with Lens getting a 3-2 win on the road at the Velodrome in Marseille, vaulting them up over Marseille into second place in the table right behind a perfect 8-0-0 Paris Saint-Germain, who right now are looking the class of French football as we would expect, and they themselves got a 2-0 win over Montpellier to start the day, start the match day off on Saturday with Guillet and Draxler scoring for them. And we'll get into their Champions League tie a little bit later. And we also saw results featuring Nice getting a 3-0 win on the road against San Etienne. Lille getting back onto the winning train. They got a 2-1 win over Strasbourg. Lyon and Lorient getting a 1-1 draw. And then on Sunday, a couple of really interesting ones. Monaco, a 3-1 win over Clermont on the road. Angers and Troyes getting a 1-1 draw. And then Ren and Bordeaux getting a 1-1 draw as well. So if you look at the table right now, like I said, Paris Saint-Germain on 24 points from eight games played, a perfect start to the season. Len, Marseille, Nice, and Angers round out the top five. They are on 15, 14, 13, and 13 points respectively. So a couple of the usual suspects and a couple of new guys that are just, just kind of creeping into the top five as well. 
And if we look just outside the top five, we have Lyon, Monaco, and Lille, the champions from last season in seven, eighth, and ninth, respectively. Yeah, it's good to see Lille start. I think Lille's finally started to kind of get their legs underneath them. They've jumped up the table. They're now in at least the top half of the table. And with Monaco and Lyon there, I mean, still a lot of football still to be played. I mean, most of the teams have played eight. A couple teams have only played seven. So there's still plenty of football to be played in France. But unfortunately, I think PSG has already stapled themselves into that top spot. I think it's going to take a lot of a lot of help Um when it comes to injuries or anything like that with PSG for them to fall back to the table because already having a nine point gap on second place is going to be a very, very difficult uh, thing to accomplish. Let's jump over to one of your other favorite leagues. And that is the Bundesliga where we just completed round six. And if we look at it, a lot of the teams that we expected come out with, with, Results this weekend, Bayern getting a nice 3-1 win, Leipzig getting a big 6-0 win. But one thing that jumps off is seeing Bayern to, to see Muchen Gladbach knocking off Borussia Dortmund 1-0. A big, a kind of an upset uh, early in the early in the season to Borussia Dortmund's hopes of, of, of contending for a Bundesliga title. Yeah, there were a couple of really interesting results. We see Union Berlin getting a 1-0 win at home over Bielefeld. Like you said, Gladbach with a huge 1-0 win over Borussia Dortmund, getting help, of course, from the red card from Mahmoud Dahoud in the first half as well, with Zacharias' goal getting it done there. They were without Erling Haaland over the weekend, so if you're if you're a Dortmund fan, you could possibly use that as a, as a bit of an excuse per se. Another one that I was keeping an eye on was the Derby of the American center backs uh, in Hoffenheim versus Wolfsburg with Chris Richards and John Brooks going at it and a three, one win for Hoffenheim knocking off Wolfsburg and handing them their first loss of the season. And now putting a three point gap in between Bayern and Leverkusen and Wolfsburg who are second and third respectively on 13 points each Dortmund are sitting back there in fourth. So the top four looking pretty run of the mill, then you have Freiburg, Mainz, Kuhn, and Union getting down to eighth place. So we've got a couple of really interesting names up there as well. And then Leipzig are down in 10th right now. Leipzig and Mönchengladbach are in 10th and 11th right now. So a little bit of worry for them if you're if you're trying to rush to conclusion, but there's still a lot of football to be played. So a lot of time for Jesse Marsh to write the ship in Leipzig and a lot of time for Marco Hosa to correct it with Gladbach. Yeah, and with Gladbach, the biggest thing with them is that they're going to get opportunities. The win over Borussia Dortmund, I think, will give them a ton of confidence. And another big game this weekend, just looking really quickly at some of the fixtures this weekend, a a very difficult matchup with Wolfsburg this weekend. So Gladbach's got a chance to really jump up the table with a couple of big wins against a couple of heavy hitters. In the German league, let's jump from there. Let's go to Serie A, where we see Napoli topping the topping the group and topping the entire table at 18 points. Milan, Inter, and Roma being our top four. Juventus, maybe just maybe, might be seeming to jump up and finally get into contention. We'll look at some of the results over the weekend. Milan getting a win over Spezia, a 2-2 draw between Inter and Atalanta. Atalanta continuing to be a thorn in the side for the big clubs. Juventus getting a 3-2 win over Sampdoria. Sassuolo with a big 1-0 win over Sportva. And Lazio winning the Rome Derby 3-2 over Roma. 
yeah, another really big result for them. And like you said, Napoli, a perfect 6-0-0 right now. They've only conceded two goals through six games. So the brand of football that they're playing right now is definitely suiting them very well and helping catapult them to the top of the table. Uh, Juve are down right now in 10th place right now as Allegri looks to hopefully turn the tide there and help his his side get a little bit better moving now. They are on a two-match winning streak. They beat Spezia and Sampdoria in the last week and a half. So if they can keep things going, look for Juventus to start a mad dash up the table and start to really influence the, that top four. Yeah, it'll definitely be inter- definitely be interesting and seeing just some of the some of the weekends. Uh, Sassuolo with a big one against Inter Milan. Let's see, Roma versus Empoli, Atalanta versus Milan. That should be an absolutely cracking one. And as you kind of said, Juventus with a nice with a winnable game with a very good chance for a win against Torino over the weekend. Let's jump over to Spain and La Liga, where we still see Real Madrid topping the table 17 points. Real Sociedad, Sevilla, and Atletico being the first four with Barcelona just sitting outside the top four in sixth with 12 points. Jumping to some of the results over the weekend, sees Alaves get a big 1-0 win over Atletico on at home. Barcelona getting a big 3-0 win over Levante. Real Madrid and Villarreal playing to a nil-nil draw and Real Betis getting a big 2-0 win over Getafe. Just looking at this really quickly, I mean, we're we're really kind of seeing the top teams in Spain. They're at the top as per usual. Yeah, with the exception of Barcelona, it looks like most of the heavy hitters are, are performing up to standard right now. Of course, Real Madrid and Sevilla as well as Barcelona, as much as much grief as I've been giving him recently, they are all still unbeaten, as are Villarreal, actually, down in 11th place. Believe it or not, they're on one win and five draws, six goals scored and three goals conceded. So they're technically still unbeaten, and who knows, they that those points could definitely help them out over the course of a long season. Now, I would like to turn your attention really quick to Real Sociedad because I saw something earlier today that really blew my mind and it was really interesting to see and really fun to see. And that is that a second division club in the United States has sold a player to Real Sociedad, Louisville City's Jonathan Gomez, following the conclusion of this USL championship season here in the United States, is going to be moving to Real Sociedad. He places an outside back and now he's going to become one of the first lower division players from the United States to make a move to a top flight European league. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Jonathan Gomez goes from Louisville city in the second division of American soccer up to La Liga. And it's going to be very fun to see his journey in Spain. That'll be quite, that'll be quite interesting to see. And I almost wanted, I wanted to say this as you brought in Villarreal trying to play the Ukraine model. Let's get as many draws as we possibly exactly. can. So that's that's absolutely amazing. But again, as you said, they are technically undefeated. They have not been beaten. So we jump to it. The coup, the coup d'etat, the, the, the finisher, and that is England, where we see Liverpool topping the table with 14 points. Manchester City, Chelsea, and Man United there at third at second, third, and fourth, all with 13. Along with Everton and Brighton, only difference there is goal differential. We go to the fixtures from this past weekend. 
and we, we, we can't not talk about it. Manchester City going into London, getting a 1-0 win over Chelsea, a massive gain there. But this was a weekend of very interesting results. Villa going to Manchester City in Manchester United, getting a 1-0 win. West Ham going to Leeds United, getting a 2-1 win. Brentford at home, getting a 3-3 draw with mighty Liverpool and Arsenal resurrecting itself getting a big 3-1 win over Spurs yeah I mean we've got a a big cluster at the top of the league right now first through eighth all separated by a grand total of four points so it's going to be very interesting to see over the course of the coming weeks and over the international breaks how this table is going to shape up and you you have to wonder I'm just going to say this Donnie as an American fan if it might have been different if Christian Pulisic was playing for Chelsea, who knows? Maybe it's just the American in me just wanting to see the American players play or whatever. You, you can get on me or whatever. But I, I do think that Chelsea are hitting a, a tiny little bit of a rough patch here. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about their Champions League game later, like I said about another team earlier in PSG. But Chelsea are, are just right now struggling to find the net a little bit. And it might just be a little bit of a, of a stretch over the last week and a half or whatever, or who knows, could it end up being a bit of a longer term problem as we go into the next coming days, but a big win for Manchester city, a big win also for Arsenal, like you were talking about, like we were, we were joking about them being down in 20th earlier in the season about them getting relegated quote unquote. And now they've been able to rattle off a couple of wins on the trot. And now they're up to 10th place right behind the mighty Brentford Villa West Ham and Brighton. So Arsenal looking to get themselves back on the right track and they have another matchup this weekend. They're going to be playing against Brighton and it could end up being a very interesting game in the standings. And if we look at the upcoming fixtures over the uh, course of this weekend, we got a couple of really interesting ones. Uh, I mentioned the Brighton Arsenal game on Saturday to kick off the match. we got Manchester United hosting Everton It's a really big one. Chelsea plays Southampton at home, a game that you could potentially see Tuchel really try and get a lot of goals out of this Chelsea side that have been a little bit starved for goals over the last couple of match days. West Ham versus Brentford is a very sneaky good game as well. Mm -hmm. Look out for that one. Mm -hmm. And then the one to to round it all off, sending us into the international break-in style. Liverpool versus Manchester City, the two heavy hitters, 1v2 in the table right now, going at it at Anfield. It's going to be an incredible incredible atmosphere there in front of the Liverpool faithful. And it's going to be a great showcase of the top talent in the Premier League. Yeah. It's such a, such a good book. And, and I would say a great bookends two bookend great games of this round with Manchester, with Manchester United and Everton to start off the weekend ending with Liverpool, Man City, great bookends. And, and I agree the West Ham Brentford is a sneaky, good game. I like the Brighton Arsenal game. I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating too. And, and to see Tottenham versus Aston Villa, I think is, is another one I'm, I'm really going to keep an eye on when it comes to this weekend, but we got to, sir. One of the biggest competitions in, in domestic football is the Champions League. Another round is down. Round two is through. And boy, were we not disappointed. Not only did we get some big wins, but we get some surprises as really quickly. We can't not talk about this. I mean, the massive one that you and I texted before, Sheriff of Moldova goes in to the Bernabeu in Madrid, Real Madrid, all the sparkle and grandeur of Real Madrid and get a massive 
2-1 win, and they lead the group for a second consecutive round. Mark it down, folks. They are six points from two matches played on top of a group with Madrid, Inter Milan, and Shakhtar Donetsk. Sheriff are running the table, folks. They're going all the way. Get on the bandwagon. Do it now. But in all honesty, I mean, what a performance. I mean, th- this is one of those ones that y- you can't even script this in a Hollywood movie. I mean, l- let's just take a look at this real quick. Total attempts, 30 to 4 in favor of Ramadur. That's 3-0 to 4. Corners taken. Ramadur 13, Sheriff 0. Passes completed. Real Madrid 629. Sheriff 177. I mean, 11 saves from the from the goalkeeper for Sheriff. Uh, let me let me let me try and pronounce this. I thought I Nope, I, I can't. <laughs> I tried. I gave <laughs> the it a keeper try. from Sheriff was but fantastic. I saw the highlights. Saves. He was playing. He was playing out of his mind. It's probably the best game that keeper has ever had in his life, and the best part is he's gonna have pictures of him making saves against Los Blancos. What an incredible, incredible performance! He was voted Player of the Week in the Champions League for the match day. So that just goes to show how incredible it was. Yeah, and and and, and not to be out, not to be outdone. Let's look at a few of the other results here. A couple of the ones that jump off the page: PSG with a massive two 0 win at home in the Parc de Princes against Manchester City. A massive five one win by Liverpool in Porto. The Portuguese side does not like playing Liverpool because they do not usually turn out well. Borussia Dortmund with a big one 0 win at home. Atletico Madrid go into Milan get a two one win, and the other. Kind of big. The other big upset in the in the second round day is Club Bruges getting a two one win in Leipzig. Yeah, that was really interesting because now they're Leipzig are now on zero points from two games, and it, you're in a group with Paris Saint Germain and Manchester City, and you now have to make up points against them without even really having been able to play PSG yet and still needing to play at Manchester city and Bruges a second time. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very tough for Leipzig to get back into this and they might be forced into just holding out for a Europa league spot because as of now, it's not looking great for Leipzig, but yeah, a couple of those other ones you were talking about the huge win for Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool's front three Salah, Mane, and Firmino getting all five goals and showing why they're elite and the result between Shakhtar Donetsk and Inter Milan, a nil nil draw, in Ukraine. I mean, that was a big one because now that puts Shakhtar in, into contention for that Europa League spot as well. I mean, them and Inter are tied for third place right now. Inter just above them on goal differential. But Shakhtar is still in position to potentially make a run. And if they can pull off another shocker against Real Madrid, like we saw last year, I mean, hey, you, you, you can never count Shakhtar out of Champions mm-hmm. League competition because they can always prove to be a thorn in the side of anybody. And Let's go ahead and talk about it, Donnie. I mean, we were talking about Barcelona earlier. Yes, they're technically undefeated in La Liga, but now they have been beaten 3-0 in consecutive Champions League matches by Bayern and now Benfica on the road, the Portuguese Giants getting the win over a 10-man Barcelona after Garcia was sent off. So, I mean, it, it is a real just utter and complete humiliation for Barcelona on all fronts. And it almost appears as of now that 
that, that they really just have to hold on to Ronald Kuman, even though it's obvious that they want, they really need to get rid of him and start over, but they really can't do anything right now. Can they? Mm-hmm. Not really. It's, it's, Oh boy, it's it's going to be quite an interesting to see how they go. And, and, and the crazy part about it is, is that do we do we see Barcelona potentially go into a Europa League elimination? I know we're only two games in. I know. Don't don't panic, coach. But this is not panic good. button. Panic button. <laughs> exactly. This is not good. Your first two games, you've dropped you've dropped six goals, so your goal differential is tanked already. So that means you got to win the next two games and try to put up goals because if not, you are putting yourself in a chance to where you could be the Europa League team, which is crazy to think the Barcelona could be in the Europa League knockout stages. So this is insane. The, the benefit for Barcelona is that their next two games are both against Dinamo Kiev and Dinamo got beat 5-0 by Bayern at the Allianz Arena on Wednesday so if you're a Barcelona fan you can at least take solace in the fact that you have Dinamo Kiev at home in the next match day and you know that you have to deploy every single offensive weapon not only win but you need to win convincingly because you were mentioning goal differential they're at minus six right now no Mm -hmm. goal scored six conceded so you have got to get goals and you have got to get a lot of them over the next two match days against Dinamo Kiev First game at the Camp Nou and the second one at the Olympiski, which is not going to be an easy place to get a, a result in. Yeah, and it, and it just I mean, it's just incredible to, to see it. And, and, and let's let's jump to a couple other results, a couple other big, massive ones. Zenit at home against Malmo gets a four 0 win. Your beloved Bayern Munich gets a five 0 win over Dynamo Kiev. And a couple of cracking ones is Wolfsburg and Sevilla play to a 1-1 draw. Salzburg gets a big 2-1 win over Lille. And Juventus gets themselves on track with a 1-0 win at home against Chelsea, kind of riding the ship for the Italian giant. So let's really quickly look at each of these group stages. I mean, again, we're two games in. We're not jumping to conclusions with a lot of these. But to see Group A, first and second are PSG and Club Bruges with Man City, Leipzig as your four. Liverpool topping Group B with Atletico in second. Ajax topping Group C, even with Borussia Dortmund only ahead on goal differential. As we said, Group D, Sheriff leads the group with six points with Real Madrid. Sheriff are winning Group second. D, Donnie. Let's just, let's just face it. Let's face I, the I really They've done it. I really hope so because that would be incredible if they do. Group E is is topped by Bayern, followed by Benfica with Barcelona at the bottom of the group. Group F is topped by Atalanta with four points over um, Young Boys of Bern at three points in second. Group G sees Salzburg with four points, Sevilla with two, Wolfsburg with two. And Group H sees Juventus with six points and Chelsea with three points rounding out the end of that group so we jump from champions league because we will see a few weeks before next play since we are recording on thursday europa league games have come and they have gone with round two oh let's 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 jump into the first part of it the early games today the scab seems- off now well, they're they're the late they're one of the later games so we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> later i think you all probably know but um I don't feel so bad as fellow Scottish giant, fellow Scottish giant Rangers fall to Sparta Praha in Prague. One nil Leon with a three nil win there. Spartak Moscow getting a big three, two win in Napoli. So as good as, as well as Napoli is playing in Italy, not doing as well in Europa and 
the other team, the other matchup in this group sees Legia Warsaw in Poland at home, knocking off Leicester one nil. So the lower teams in this group are, are flexing their muscles on the heavy hitters of Leicester and Napoli. So very interesting to see how that goes. Frankfurt getting a one nil win over Royal Antwerp Olympiacos going into Turkey in Fenerbahce and getting a massive three, one win and a, and a, and a draw between Real Sociedad and Monaco will round out some of the results in the early games. And then in the in the night games, I'll get it over. It's hard to say Leverkusen is a very, very good team as they go into Glasgow, into that atmosphere and get a massive four nil win. I got to give it up. Real Betis getting beating Ferris Veros in Hungary, three nil red star going into Bulgaria and beating Ludogorets one nil Braga going, playing Michelin winning three, one and Dynamo Zagreb getting a big three nil win in gank. Yeah, another one is really big was uh, Marseille and Galatasaray going to a nil-nil draw. Mm-hmm. And West Ham in their first home Europa League match in a very long time, getting a 2-0 win over, over Rapid Vienna with goals from Rice and Ben Rama. So a couple of really interesting results, and we can take a look real quick at the Europa League tables as of now. We got Lyon on top of Group A with Sparta Praha right behind them. A two-way tie at the top of Group B between PSV Eindhoven and AS Monaco ahead of Real Sociedad. And then the very interesting Group C, where I think we both picked Napoli and Leicester to top the group. They are both on the bottom of the group group. with Legia, (laughs) with Legia Warsaw on six points and Spartak Moscow on three, topping Group C at the moment. Olympiakos with six points from two games so far on top of Group D, followed by Eintracht Frankfurt. And a very interesting 4.3.2.1 point group in Group E with Galatasaray over Lazio, followed by Marseille and Lokomotiv Moscow rounding out that group. Red Star and Braga both leading Group F on six points and three points, respectively. Uh, six points and zero points, a pair of those teams in Group G with Bayer Leverkusen and Real Betis on top of Group G with Franz Varos and Celtic on the bottom half. Sorry, Donnie. And then Group H, yeah, Group H, Group H sees West Ham on top of the group on six points at the moment. Dinamo Zagreb and Genk battling it out for second on three points right now. So some very interesting Europa League groups at the moment and a couple of key matchups coming up in the third match day, especially between Celtic and Ferenc Varos, Donnie. Yeah, that'll definitely be a big one, but we can talk about that in a few weeks. We have the international break kind of breaking up a little bit of play. So Since we have that international break, let's jump to the MLS and another round is down. We continue to see it go. Round 27 is in and it is out of the books during the weekend. And just looking at some of these results, New England continuing to continuing their hot, their hot play, beating Orlando City 2-1 DC United with a big 4-2 win. The Loons have broken the Croston curse from earlier in the season and have started to win some games as they get a 2-0 win over the Houston Dynamo and an absolute smashing as the Portland Timbers smack down the Real Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake 
won. And in the game, we had kind of previously already mentioned the Seattle Sounders with a big road win at Sporting Kansas City 2-1. I know it still stings, sir. I'm not trying to open that wound for you. And another No worries. Big, I, a, I I opened up your Celtic wound. You can open up my Sporting wound a little bit. And it, and it wasn't done intentionally, ladies and gentlemen. And a big win for Austin FC over the LA Galaxy 2-1. And, and looking at some some early, early week action, we had some games already played as we see Let's see, Toronto with a big 3-0 win over Cincinnati. Atlanta getting a win. D.C. United knocking off the Loons 3-1. New England going to Montreal and getting a 4-1 win. Sporting getting a big win down in Dallas 3-1. I mean, is that a tough game down in Dallas for, for Sporting there? Is that a relatively easy win for them? You know, you'd think it's easy, but Dallas has always been a thorn in the side of Sporting Kansas City. They, they provide a lot of really intense really testy matchups over the course of not only this year, but of years past. And they've definitely been a tough opponent to go and get a win there. But luckily for sporting, they've been able to go down to Dallas twice this season and get three points both times. Daniel Shallow with two goals last night, including a Johnny Russell penalty kick. So you were mentioning the New England Revolution, talking about them being the hot team right now. I don't think that's doing it justice, Donnie. I think we need to talk about this New England Revolution team as being one of the best teams this league has ever seen. And I'm not saying that with hyperbole, folks. They're mm-hmm. on pace right now to not only break the single season points record, they're looking to blow it out of the water right now. They're on 29 games played, 20 wins Five draws and only four losses with a goal differential of 23. They're right now on 65 points. They are running away with the Supporters' Shield, leading the Sounders by 14 points right now. Mm -hmm. So the the only way for Seattle to be able to nip the Supporters' Shield off of the Revs is to pretty much win out and hope that the Revs lose out. Because right now, the combination of Carlos Heel, Gustavo Bo, and Tejan Buchanan, the up-and-coming Canadian international, is going to be moving to Club Bruges at the conclusion of this season. That combination, as well as Matt Turner in between the sticks, the USMNT number one. I mean, he they have just been incredible. And Bruce Arena, we gotta we gotta talk about Bruce Arena a little bit. He goes from being an incredible coach for the U.S. national team for DC United early in MLS and LA Galaxy, winning them several MLS Cups, riding all of those highs. And then riding the lowest of lows and not being able to get the U.S. men's national team into the World Cup the last time around. And now he's really revitalizing his reputation with the revolution. And he's leading them on a quest to potentially win them their very first MLS Cup. So we got to give it up to New England Revolution because they have been playing absolutely incredible. Yeah, just incredible what they have done. And even even with the three games in hand that that Seattle has, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to catch it. Just an incredible, incredible streak going. Really quickly, let's look at some of the weekend games that we want to keep an eye on. Just looking at it really quickly, I'm thinking a game between Montreal and Atlanta should be an absolutely cracking game. Uh, Portland hosting Inter Miami, the LA, the LA Derby, LA Galaxy, Los Angeles, and the LA Galaxy are playing each other. Sounders hosting the Colorado Rapids. New York City getting Nashville SC could be a quite a good game. And an out west matchup on Saturday sees Vancouver and the San Jose Earthquakes. So several really good games to, to, to bite into over the weekend, sir. What's one game that you're looking at just here that you're, you're besides your beloved sporting Kansas City? That's kind of pique your interest. So I think that the final two, right? I think that those are really going to 
paint the picture of the Western Conference playoff picture. So we have El Trafico, the LA Derby, whatever you'd like to call it, between Galaxy and LAFC. That one being played at the Galaxy, being played at 7 o'clock on ESPN. This is a really big one. LAFC are sitting just outside the playoff picture. LA Galaxy are barely holding on. So you've got two teams right there that are really desperate for a win to be able to not only claim bragging rights in the city, but get additional ground to go into the playoffs. And then the Seattle versus Colorado matchup. I mean, these are the two teams that if we're talking about games in hand, they have a game in hand over sporting Kansas city. So if Seattle can get the win here, then they're likely going to wrap up that number one seed barring any monumental collapse. If Colorado goes into century link and gets all three points, then they have seriously completely shifted the tide and they would end up being in control of their own destiny in all likelihood. So it's going to be very interesting to see if we have a winner in that game. And then another one to keep an eye out for, uh, you mentioned it, the Vancouver San Jose game. It's a very relatively low profile game, but this is between teams that are eighth and 10th in the playoffs race right now, just barely sitting outside that top seven. So if Vancouver or San Jose can get a win there, they're going to be chasing the tails of the loons and the galaxy and RSL who are fitting in fifth, sixth, and seventh right now. So we've got a couple of really huge games coming up this weekend. And then, Donnie, that's going to lead into World Cup qualifying, which we can get into detail a little bit more on our next podcast. We'll be recording the day before the first World Cup qualifier match day. But as long as we're talking about it, we can go ahead and take a look at the national team selection for the USMNT they went ahead and called up a little bit of a mixture. They had a, a couple of uh, MLS players, a lot of European-based players. No Pulisic, no Reyna. They're both out injured, but there's, they're going to be seeing more of John Luca Buzio, the former sporting player, which I'm very, very, very excited about. Brendan Aronson, who was the star of the last window, is retained. Ricardo Pepe is back in the picture as well. Matthew Hoppy gets a call up, as well as Tim Weah, who's recovered from injury. And if we look at the defenders list, we also have the inclusion of Chris Richards, the Bayern player on loan at Hoffenheim. He's joining in the fray. Mark McKenzie and Shaq Moore are both into the picture. So got a couple of really interesting choices here. But the big one for me is the inclusion of Weston McKenney. He was sent home after a breach of team protocol during the last window. They've tried to paint it off as water under the bridge and trying to make sure that everyone's okay and being disciplined properly but they do include McKenney in this window so it's going to be very interesting seeing how this group goes at it they're going to have some very tough matchups starting up next Thursday they're going to be playing Jamaica at home in Austin Texas followed by a trip down to Panama and then rounding it out with Costa Rica in Columbus yeah it'll be absolutely incredible we will we will go over all of those games preview those games what we think how we how we are going to support the usmnt at that time sir but i think that's going to do it for our football section of it let's go to some college football because another absolutely insane saturday that sees a little bit of everything let's quickly let's run through this because this was an incredible bout and round of of uh, college football and with a little bit of everything let's go off one of the first games of the day sees the one of the other match rated rated matchups of the weekend sees notre dame knock off wisconsin 41 13 but 
is it just me or this final score is not even close to what this game was like because for three and a half quarters this was a great game until grant mertz just absolutely lost his marbles and started throwing interceptions every other throw that's exactly right donnie and i'm gonna i'm gonna slightly brag about this because I, I put a bet down in this game and I ended up making a little bit of money on the Notre Dame fighting Irish. So big ups to Brian Kelly and the Irish for, for making me a little bit richer, but like, like you were saying, I mean, this is a very tight game and Notre Dame went into this game as an underdog. They went in as about a four and a half point underdog. And it was a very interesting atmosphere in Chicago. A lot of Wisconsin fans there, a lot of red in the stands, but Notre Dame is able to get the, get, get the job done. And it was a tough one. Like you said, Jack Cohn had to take care of business early and then he got hurt. The backup came in and the, the big kickoff return by Tyree for Notre Dame kind mm-hmm. of shifted the tide and it really helped the Notre Dame fighting Irish really screw their heads on straight and get things into a groove and be able to take the final quarter by the scruff of the neck. And they end up getting the job done, making Mertz pay for the turnovers and Notre Dame gets a big win out of it. And it's very, very interesting as, as, as Iowa fans, I mean, we're, we're unabashed when it comes to it, is this really does, for me, this shows some weakness on this Wisconsin team. And, and Wisconsin may be the one team that I think a lot of Iowa fans are going, they're going to be our tough competition. I'm, it'll be interesting to see how, this, how the rest of this season goes because the Big Ten West, I think, is wide open right now. I think there's, there's nothing solid about the Big Ten West right now when it comes to it. There's a lot of question marks over several of those teams, but we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more. But let's go to it. We have several really, really good games, including several upsets over this weekend. Let's go to a game that I said, and, 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 I, and I, I'm not going to humbly brag this, but I thought this was going to be a closer game than a lot of people thought it was going to be, and it was. Michigan survives Rutgers at home 2013 it's hard to say it but i think coach shiano has really got rutgers playing better football rutgers is not going to be a pushover in the big 10 east this year no they're not and if you look at michigan's stats i mean they were very underwhelming by michigan's very high standards and considering the fact that they were a 20 and a half point favorite heading into this game and they only won by seven that just goes to show that not only did Michigan underperform themselves. But like you said, Rutgers are playing very good football right now, and they're playing very respectable football. And it makes the rest of the Big Ten really have to, to perk an ear up and, and actually keep an eye on this Rutgers team because they're, they're dangerous. They've always been a little bit of a, of a watch-out game, as I like to call. But they're, they're definitely showing that they've come a long way and that they're starting to, to play a lot better than what everybody thinks of Rutgers football to be. So – Credit to Rutgers for putting in a very good fight at the big house. Yeah, and, and we, and and from there we go to it to the dumpster fire that is the Clemson Tigers. I mean, I don't oh know if, if it's me, but NC State gets a double overtime six point win at home over the Clemson Tigers. But I mean, is it just me, or, or is Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson dynasty hit a rut and put themselves in the ditch to where? The ACC now is wide open because I don't think Clemson's going to win the win the league this year because right now they can't score enough to be able to beat a lot of teams. And if this is the performances they're going to put up in, somebody else is going to win this division. And I really have a hard time seeing the ACC getting a team in the playoffs. And this really goes to show that the pressure is really on DJ Uyangalele. And it's, it's unfortunate because there's 
no doubt that the talent is there, but you, you can tell that these are young guys with a lot of pressure on their, on their shoulders the, with the new NIL deal coming through, they're able to get money now. And they've got a lot of pressure to live up to the high standards, especially at Clemson having to, to succeed Trevor Lawrence. And it's not easy to do. And we saw just how good he is last year. He put in a really respectable performance against Notre Dame in a loss. But like you said, the rest of this Clemson team just does not look in sync right now. And it was really sad at the end because the final play of the game, it was a, it was a wide receiver fade to the end zone. And Uyong Galele made a pretty, pretty good throw given the circumstance. And it looked like a catchable ball for the Clemson wide receiver, but he didn't even go for it. He didn't stretch out his arms. He made no attempt to catch the ball. He didn't even really make an attempt to look at the referee and claim pass interference either. I mean, it honestly just looked like he was just running just to run. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? You could have caught that ball if you'd laid out for it. But it, it just goes to show that the, there's something in the water at Clemson right now. And it's, it's definitely coming undone at the worst possible time. And now they've set themselves a mile back in the ACC race and they've kissed their playoff hopes goodbye. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's a fascinating watch. It's like a car crash on the highway. You just you don't want to, but you just gotta look. So, jumping from that, and and this is no disrespect because everybody's like, you're an Iowa, you're an Iowa guy, so you, you gotta bash. And I'm not bashing an Iowa State, but the, this Iowa State team, the greatest Iowa State team ever, is really falling short. Unfortunately, with it with a loss on the road at Baylor, 31-29. in. I don't know what to say, but this Iowa State team is just not living up to the hype that we heard all offseason about the Cyclones. The defense is letting them down, aren't they? I mean, if we take a look at Iowa State's schedule right now, I mean, they had a good first game against Northern Iowa, defensively speaking. They only allowed 10 points. They then go and allow 27 to Iowa at home, and they allow 31 to Baylor. And it's those two games that have cost Iowa State, and now they're out of the playoff race too. And they're not only that, but they're out of the rankings altogether. They started off at number seven to start the season, all this high expectations. And now they've effectively played themselves out of the playoff. And now they're just going to be looking to play spoiler in the big 12 and try and cause a little bit of chaos among the, the contenders in the big 12 conference. So it's unfortunate for Iowa state because Yes, we're Iowa fans, but we, we do pay attention to Iowa state and we, we are okay with here and then, seeing Iowa State play well, as long as it's just not against our teams. But speaking <laughs> on that, I mean, it, it's it's kind of disappointing because the, this is been like you were saying, the, the team that everyone was going to think that Iowa State was going to potentially make the playoff this year, contend in the Big 12, potentially knock OU off their perch, but they just haven't been able to live up to that right now. Their offense has played okay, but not very, very efficiently, and it, it just comes back to haunt them right at the end. Unfortunately, it just it really, really I really thought that there was a good shot opportunity for this Iowa State to team Iowa State team to do well. But let, let's stick in the Big 12. And, and I know since we have an OU fan, 16-13, a, a, a gritty game against West Virginia. I mean, is Oklahoma's offensive issues the personnel? Is it play calling? What is it? Because I I we were so many years we've seen this offense put up so many points and with Rattler's ability to run and throw, you'd think they'd be able to put up so many points, another disappointing offensive side, another close win, but OU is really making it difficult on themselves on a weekly basis. So let, let me kind of explain how, or where I am in terms of OU right now. I mean, Saturday night, 
it, it was a combination, I think, of Rattler not playing necessarily as well as we know he can play. I'm not saying that he had a bad game, but he can definitely play much, much better. The offensive line did not help Rattler out at all. And that not only did they not help Rattler out, but Eric Gray, the Tennessee transfer for Oklahoma, was only able to get 38 rush yards on 12 carries. And Kennedy Brooks only five yards five attempts for 17 yards. So you're talking about an Oklahoma team that has produced running backs with the likes of Adrian Peterson, DeMarco Murray, Quinton Griffin. Um, recent years, we've seen Ramondre Stevenson go pro and all these other guys. You're talking about an OU rush attack that was only able to get 57 yards off of 28 carries. I mean, that's extremely un-OU like, and that's because of the offensive line, not being able to set up holes up the middle, not able to set an outside rush, not even not able to get the RPO going to the point where Rattler can run with the ball. And then combine that with Lincoln Riley's play calling was extremely, extremely passive. I mean, th- there was not a very high tempo go at them sort of play calling style that we've been used to seeing with the likes of Mayfield, Murray, Hertz over the course of the Riley era. So it, it was really a bit of a comedy of errors for Oklahoma. I mean, I felt bad for Rattler because the the student section started chanting, we want Caleb, and they're referring to Caleb Williams, who's the five-star recruit who is currently a true freshman as his backup. They were wanting to see him go in at quarterback. And while I understand that they're wanting to see Caleb Williams, I mean, I saw him in person at the spring game, and he looked incredible. I mean, he looked like he was a really solid prospect. I mean, this is Spencer Rattler's team right now, and it, it wasn't fair for Rattler to not only hear that, but to not be getting the support from his offensive line, not being able to set up a running attack, not being able to really open up the playbook as much as they would have liked with Lincoln Riley. I mean, yes, they got the win. And yes, as long as they keep winning, they're going to keep their playoff hopes intact. But the offensive line has got to set themselves up. I mean, yes, the loss of Humphrey, Creed Humphrey in the center of the line is big, but you're Oklahoma. You got to be able to, to fix these problems. And if you can, then all is going to be fine. But if not, then you're looking at the likes of a Kansas State road game this upcoming weekend, which is a which is a perennial trap game. Texas the week after. You still have to play Oklahoma State. You still have to play Baylor. You still have to play Iowa State. You're going to end up slipping up one of these days because one of these days there's going to be a, a similar type of off day that you're not going to be able to recover from. And crazy to say this, but credit to the Oklahoma defense. I mean, they kept Oklahoma in the game this time, and they were able to give the offense, who wasn't firing hardly at all, a chance in the end to go down the field, kick a field goal, and win the game. So Oklahoma's got a bit of a of a, of a lot, a little bit of a lot of problems right now, and their, their playoff hopes are going to get dashed sooner or later if they don't fix them. Yeah, just an incredible, an incredible situation here. But where Oklahoma can't afford to lose because with Iowa State dropping in the Big Twelve, not exactly having a ton of strength after Iowa State, Oklahoma cannot not go undefeated if they want to make. I mean, the, the let's take a look at this real quick. I mean, OU started the season ranked number two, then they dropped to number four, then they go back up to three, then back to four, then now they're at six. So yes, they're falling out of the top four at the moment. But they also have plenty of opportunities to get statement wins. I mean, to, to finish the season, Baylor on the road is a ranked, ranked matchup at the moment. Iowa State at home on senior day in Norman is going to be a heck of a game. Mm-hmm. And then Bedlam in Stillwater to finish out the season. So 
you, you've got a lot of chances to get big wins. But if you slip up in one of these lesser known games, like the Kansas State one is one that's really concerning me. TCU is another tough one. And then I, I don't even want to potentially think of this, but if OU loses on the road to Kansas, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to be like after that. <laughs> oh, the house of horrors. So let, let's jump from big two. Let's jump from big 12 talk. Let's jump down to the SEC because a couple of games I, we have to talk about. The first is the upset that I said was going to be a close game. And, and I was very pleasant. I'm mad surprised. I didn't bet on this game, Donnie. Because Arkansas I was do this. gets the big win in Dallas over A&M at 2010 and Arkansas looks to be a contender in the sec west knocking off texas a&m and setting up a big matchup this week which we'll talk here in just a tiny bit but let's jump from this one this was an incredible game arkansas showed they are legit this year can't wait but the game that i cannot believe turned out the way it was was auburn over georgia state now everybody's like coach has what are you talking about well if you saw the score with four minutes left in the game this, it's nowhere close to this as Auburn comes back from like a 10 point deficit to Georgia state at home to win this one by 10. I mean, Auburn after that incredible game against Penn state, where I give them a lot of credit, they go on the road, they play a difficult, a difficult Penn state team really, really close, but they almost, they almost crapped the bed against Georgia state at home and O'Hare to get this win is great, but the fragility of this Auburn team is a little scary. If I'm the, if I'm, if I'm the coach right now, because you just survived a game, you should have nowhere be anywhere close to this Georgia state team. All due respect to Georgia state. Let's take a look at this real quick. So they're leading at, at the end of quarter time, six to three, two, two field goals from Carlson. They do not lead the game again until there is 45 seconds left in the football game. Mm-hmm. They get a touchdown pass from Finley to Jackson with 45 seconds left, and then they get a pick six to seal the win. So this was so, this was so close. And, I mean, I was texting with my buddy who goes to Auburn. I was like, what on earth is going on? And he's like, dude, I have no effing idea. But this is a – this is a – I mean, these Georgia State players are going to be pinching themselves. They're going to be like, dang, we were so close, so close. But Auburn ends up getting the job done. And like I said, I mean, I, I, I do want to go back to that Arkansas one because I was literally on the bet screen about to push place bet, and I didn't. And I am fuming because I, I would have you. made a lot of money. If I, I, if I, if I had comboed the Notre Dame – and Arkansas bets, I would have probably made upwards of a hundred dollars off of a ten dollar bet, and I'm so mad. Uh, I told you, I, I, I for some weird reason that Arkansas just they they impressed me. I like what they're doing, and I cannot wait for their matchup this week. And let's go to look, we got real, a couple. Look, I, I want to do one more. Yeah, real quick before we talk about that, let, let's talk about BYU versus USF. I mean, this is a really interesting game, and and BYU got out to a really good lead at halftime. But South Florida made this a game, and they almost were able to come back and win this game. And this is one that I stayed up and watched a little bit of. And I got to say, BYU, if we go off of what they played like in the first half, I mean, they could be a real problem for a couple couple teams later on in the season. I mean, they're going to have Baylor later on in October. Then they're going to have USC to finish off the season. So, I don't know, man. If BYU can keep winning, look for the, look for them to be a contender in among the power the group of five teams 
looking to get up into a New Year's Six bowl game. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And then just we'll go back to is that the upset was the biggest of the weekend. I think there was there, there was five upsets of ranked teams, including in the Big 12. And this the Big 12 and the ACC right now are, are trying their best to do everything they can to sabotage their chances of the playoffs because Oklahoma State goes in at home knocks off Kansas state who was 25th ranked at the time and Georgia tech with a big win, a 23 point win over North Carolina and North Carolina, again, continuing to fall short of the high expectations of the Tar Heels this season, but, but just an incredible one. And, and, and you know what, we'll do it. I didn't really want to, but let's do it as an Iowa fan, Iowa survives Colorado state 24, 14. And I know you and I had some back and forth conversation during this game. Are you at all concerned of the off of the offensive inefficiencies or, or, or are there, is Iowa going to be able to survive handling, letting their defense do a majority of the work? Because my biggest worry is they're going to be on the field way too much in games in the big 10, and it's eventually going to cost them. But, Part of me thinks, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I think Iowa's offense is about ready to explode because there's there's pieces are slowly starting to slip together. I think the offensive line is getting experience each week. Some of the pass plays that they hit to Keegan Johnson, the deep balls this year, are not something Iowa's known to do. They don't usually have a go-route guy that's going to get open. So being able to hit Keegan Johnson, a couple of deep passes, I'm a little bit more optimistic on this Iowa team that I think if the offensive line could just shore up just a little bit more and get the run game going, I think this could be a very dangerous Iowa offense with a very good defense that can do a lot of damage, not only in the West, but even in the Big Ten as a whole. The defense does not concern me. What, what does concern me is this. If we look at the schedule later on in the season, <laughs> Wisconsin is always a tough matchup. Northwestern is a perennial tester to Iowa. Nebraska, you never know what you're going to get from them. All three of those games are on the road. And Iowa hasn't necessarily always been the best road team, especially Northwestern. I mean, we, we always joke as Iowa fans about, oh, boy, Northwestern on the road this year. Get ready to chalk that one up as a possible that's a possible loss, but you, you make very good points. And I think another joke that I like to make me, me and my brother are, are complete jokesters about Iowa football as much as we love them. We, we got to throw them a little bit of crap here and then, but we, we always talk about the, the, the strong arms of Iowa quarterbacks, always overthrowing those go routes. But like you were saying, I mean, that there were a couple that they were actually being able to hit in this, in this past game in Colorado state, especially at Johnson. So I think that if Iowa can get through this Maryland game on Friday night, the, the, the weird Friday night game on FS1, if they can get through this and set up the top five matchup in two weeks against Penn State, you can't not back the Hawkeyes to potentially get the win there. And if they get the win against Penn State, then they're completely throwing the Big Ten's playoff door wide open they, mm -hmm. they are shaking up the national picture they are really causing ripples so i i like the points you make about iowa's offensive line getting more experience and starting to to figure out what the identity of the hawkeye team is at the moment so i think that like you were saying about the defense they they right now they they do have enough to be able to carry iowa through games will they throughout the course of a 12-game season remains to be seen 
So it's really going to come down to whether or not the offensive line can shore up enough to provide plenty of room for Goodson and the other backs to be able to run the ball efficiently and whether Petrus is accurate enough to continuously pass at a 60%, 70% rate and be able to consistently move the ball down the field. If they can, if Shudak's making his field goals, if Taylor's doing well punting and keeping the field position game in Iowa's favor, then definitely look out for the Hawkeyes to do some major damage. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. And it really, it is going to come down to, can Iowa's offense keep their defense on the sideline? Like I, I, it's really weird. Cause most of the time you say, keep their offense off the sideline. We Iowa's offense needs to keep their defense on the sidelines. The fresher the Iowa defense is the better they will be that second half. They came out with their ears pinned back and they just obliterated Colorado state after a shaky first half. Like my biggest thing that I got upset with is so much negativity on Petrus in the first half. And it really wasn't his fault. The interception. Yes, it was kind an of similar to Rattler. But it was really Tyrone Tracy not boxing out his cornerback to be able to keep him from getting to the football. He kind of lazily reached his hands out there. This is nothing against Tyrone Tracy, but he's got to protect the football's landing spot so he can make the catch. Now, I would also put a little bit on Petrus. I think he throws it without really looking to see what's there. But in the long run, Petrus has been very, very good with the football. So I'm very much looking forward to it and, and, and to go off of it. I'm going to put Iowa on upset alert because this Maryland team can put up points. This is going to be Iowa's toughest test. A lot of people would have said Iowa state would have been their toughest test. We saw they played really, really well. They've played on the road. I don't think Maryland is going to scare them. And and this is no, again, no disrespect to Maryland at all. Iowa state, I think is going to be a more scary crowd to play at. So I think Iowa having that game against Iowa state, I think will benefit the Hawkeyes in this game. I think Iowa will win this. But this is a game that scares me as an Iowa fan because Maryland puts up a lot of points. Their defense is decent. It's not great. It's decent. They can do enough damage if Iowa cannot move the football. Iowa's got to keep the offense on the field and score a few points, and then I think the defense can do what they need to do. The even scarier part about Maryland is that they have a quarterback named Tonga Vailoa. Mm-hmm. So that is going to be a very tough test for this Iowa defense. If they can shore up Tonga Vailoa and if they can, they, if they can subdue that Maryland offense, then Iowa is going to be in good shape. So Iowa, please get the job done. Penn state as well. You're playing Indiana at home. Please do, do your job. Please set up a top five matchup at Kinnick Stadium. Please do not blow a potential 5-0, V5-0, 4-V5 matchup at at Kinnick Stadium. Please preserve that that narrative. Please, please, please. Iowa needs it. Penn State needs it. It's going to be a crazy game at Kinnick regardless. But if it's a a top five matchup, I mean, Donnie, it doesn't get much better than that. That will be incredible, but let's jump to the weekend's games because it may not be four versus five. If a couple of these games turn out very interesting, like first game of the day, rank, rank matchup down in Georgia, down in Athens, as the Georgia Bulldogs host the Arkansas Razorbacks. 
I'm going to say it right now, Georgia's going to have a test with this Arkansas offense. This arc, the biggest question will be is how does Georgia's offense do against Arkansas's defense? That'll be a really, really interesting matchup there. I cannot wait for that game down in Athens. That is going to be an elite game. I cannot want, wait to watch that game. Another sneaky game that I put on interesting, another upset alert one. Yes, Wisconsin just came off that loss, but Michigan comes to Madison. Michigan has not always traveled well to Madison. This will be a very tricky game there. Yes, Brett. And if you look at the money line right now, if you look at the if you look at the favorite right now, Wisconsin's a two point favorite. They're one and two going up against a four zero Michigan team, but they are a two point favorite. This is a very interesting game where Wisconsin could very potentially go and 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 pull off a bit of an upset. And while we're talking about upsets, let let's go down to. 130 on NBC, another top 10 matchup between Cincinnati and Notre Dame. Cincinnati, a one and a half point favorite right now, but Notre Dame coming off the win at Soldier Field, a neutral site game against the tough Wisconsin team. This could be another one where you might want to bet on the Fighting Irish at home as a potential underdog, make a little bit of money off of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish for a second week in a row. I might have to do that, but at the same time, the narrative of Cincinnati being the team from the group of five, potentially getting up into the playoff. This is their big game, isn't it, Donnie? I mean, this is the one where if you're a Cincinnati fan, you've got to go into Notre Dame. you got to, at the very, very, very least, push Notre Dame to the limit, prove to the rest of the country that Cincinnati is a juggernaut to the point where they can contend with the big boys of college football. Yeah, this is, this is, their, this is their ticket to get themselves in the playoff contention if they win this game, because this is a big one. This is their marquee game on their schedule. Top 10 team on the road. You get this win by Cincinnati and you have a really good shot of keeping yourselves in very good contention for the playoffs. My only issue is their conference is a little bit of a downer this year. We'll have to see how that goes. But yes, this is a massive one for Cincinnati. And to keep on ranked, ranked matchups, this is an incredible, I think there's four ranked, ranked matchups. The third of the weekend sees Old Miss go into Tuscaloosa to face the Crimson Tide. Old Miss by Lane Kiffin, Kiffin versus Saban in Tuscaloosa. This will be a fascinating game to see. Can Old Miss's offense take down Alabama's defense? And after Bama's slim win over the Gators, is Bama more vulnerable than people think? So that, that's one to definitely keep an eye on. A couple other games, I hate saying it, Oklahoma going to Manhattan, Kansas State, always upset a potential alert. upset, upset one there. Kansas I'll State say is it too. always tough at home. Um, Oregon going down to Stanford, the 2:30 ABC game. Another one. Keep an eye on Stanford's tough. I think Oregon should win this one, but Stanford's never an easy game. The unending, the unending losing streak. Can Kentucky end it? Hosting Florida at home in 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 Kentucky. This will be quite an interesting one there. And then Baylor. At Oklahoma State, wow, an incredible game. There's so many great games this weekend. This is going to be an incredible weekend of football. And if you want one more little fun bet to maybe place, we were talking about Rutgers earlier, Donnie. They're at home against the Ohio State. Ohio State's a 15-point favorite. I'm not entirely sold on Ohio State yet. Pick Rutgers to cover here. Because I think that they're going to make this a game, especially with them playing at home 
Rutgers could potentially cause some shockwaves and knock Ohio State off. They might not necessarily beat them, but I think they're going to push Ohio State and make this a very interesting game, especially after they were able to do it to Michigan. Yeah, that'll definitely be an interesting one. Indiana, Penn State at at, at um, State College will be fascinating. As you said, hopefully Penn State can get that win to keep the marquee matchup there. And then out to the West, another fun one that I cannot wait to see, Arizona State in L.A. playing the UCLA Bruins. This could be another fascinating one. Out in the Pac-12, as, as you have a couple of really good teams, I think two of the better teams in the Pac-12 going at it there and then the sec matchup as auburn goes to baton rouge to play the lsu tigers what an incredible week of football we cannot wait let's jump really quickly and look at the rankings we see it again not a ton of movement besides arkansas with a massive eight spot jump up to eighth from 16th other than that AM dropping eight places after losing to arkansas michigan jumping up five oklahoma state jumping in to the rankings along with wake forest and I don't know about you, sir, but how Clemson has survived in the top 25, I'm still trying to figure out because with their inept offense, um, their game against Boston College may finally put the death blow into their ranked record, into their ranked in a row streak that they've ha- had for a while. Well, and then we were talking about the Iowa-Maryland matchup. Quite frankly, Maryland could be ranked above Clemson right now. Maryland 4-0, Clemson 2-2. Maryland are the very tough team at 4-0, and Texas is the other team that's right on the outside looking in San Diego state right behind Maryland in terms of the votes. But like you were saying, eight spot jump up for Arkansas, eight spot drop for A&M. Let's go ahead and show the group of five teams a little bit of love as well. We got Cincinnati in seventh going up against Notre Dame. It's going to be a great matchup. BYU in 13th right now. Coastal Carolina standing pad at 16th. They're holding on right now. Fresno state up in 18th place. And then that is going to round out the group of five teams. We're all we're always rooting for one of the, the little the smaller teams to get up into the rankings and cause a little bit of a shakeup. So that's always a fun thing to look out for. Yeah, definitely for sure. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how that goes. Just a fascinating, fascinating week of football. I cannot wait, sir. But we got to go to it. It's it's the penultimate. It's the last game of the footy season. Sees our grand final between the Melbourne Demons and the Western Bulldogs. And if you look at the final score, I don't know if it's a complete indication of the way this game goes. As the Melbourne Demons get the monkey off the back, ending the giant drought, winning one hundred and forty to sixty-six, a seventy-four point win. But halfway through the third quarter, it was a completely different game. I mean, what an absolute roller coaster of emotions for both sets of fans. I mean, Melbourne starts off the game really, really well. They kick four goals to one in the first quarter and then an electric second quarter from the Bulldogs getting themselves up to a a big lead at halftime and then heading into the third quarter, about halfway through that third quarter, it was looking like there was no answer for the dogs as they were able to move the ball at will, suffocate Melbourne down in their own third and were able to really control the game. And then just like that, Brayshaw kicks a goal. They're able to get Bailey Fritch back involved. And Melvin rattles off three goals in the final minute of the quarter to extend their lead to 24. And then they absolutely put the pedal to the metal 
and get goal after goal after goal in the fourth quarter. And Melbourne ends up running away with it late. But like you were saying, I mean, it was just an incredible game. And for D's fans, it's got to feel really good that they were able to not only get the win, but that they were able to overcome adversity in the win as well, that they were able to show that there's no fluke about it, that they're truly the best team in the league this year. They win the minor premiership. They get through a Geelong team, which has been a, a, a perennial thorn in their side over the last multiple decades. And then they're able to get it done in the grand final against a Western Bulldogs team who's been along with Melvin, really one of the better teams in the league this season, and they're able to get it done very well done in the end. Christian Petraka wins the Norm Smith medal for best on ground. I mean, how good was Christian Petraka? I mean, that was just an incredible performance. I mean, we, we, we've grown used to seeing Dusty Martin run riot in grand finals over the last couple of years, but the, the performance by Christian Petraka, I mean, it's, it seemed like he wasn't kicking every goal, but he kicked one himself that was an insane dribbler from deep in the pocket that was just an incredible dribbler goal. And then it seemed like he was setting up either by foot or by hand every dangerous attack in the second half. And it seemed like Christian Petraka was just getting involved in every single key moment of the game. Gets a, a, a tied grand final high of 39 disposals in the match. So it was just an incredible match by Petraka, an incredible match really all around by the D's. Yeah, just an incredible performance. And the fact that Petraka had 39 disposals and one time was 40, which would have been the first ever player to hit 40 disposals in a grand final. They eventually took one away. I still don't know why, but 39 disposals in a grand final. It's hard to say that he was not a very well-deserving Norm Smith medalist, sir. And that is it. The footy season is over really quickly just run me over what an incredible season i mean just so many twists and turns covid changes change games incredible three game winning after siren at three after siren winning kicks to end games this season i mean just really quickly tell me your thoughts on this season but just how incredible it was I mean, it, it was incredible. I mean, I don't think that either of us before the season started really fancied Melbourne as much of a chance at all to even make the, to even make the eight. I mean, neither of us picked Melbourne to get into the eight at the start of the season. I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw my, my, myself under the bus to start with. I, I had Collingwood in the eight to start and what a dumpster fire that turned out to be. Uh, we, we had, we had the West coast Eagles potentially contending for top four. They didn't even make the eight. And we, we had teams in Melbourne and Port Adelaide and Western Bulldogs and Geelong and Brisbane who time after time over the season, they kept showing their form and kept showing their class. And then we had teams, let's, let's go ahead and get, let's say it. We, we had the Swans, zero teams, zero of the 18 captains leading into the, into the season in the captain survey had picked the Swans to get into the eight and they made it. I mean, they, they were one of the shocks of the season being able to get their young guns in Errol Gould and Campbell and McDonald, not as much, but they were able to get Buddy healthy and able to get a bit of vintage Buddy, it seemed like, and they were able to play really well. And then the Melbourne Demons, I mean, time after time, at times it looked like they were they were going to potentially start to fall off and, and start to be like old, same old Melbourne, but they just kept going at it and they kept playing very, very well, get the – the winning goal after the siren by gone in round 23 against Geelong, who has really been their, their key rival over the past 
couple of decades to win the minor premiership and take it from Geelong, then to beat Geelong in a prelim, and then to finally break the 57-year drought against a team in the Dogs who themselves earlier in the decade, in 2016, broke their own 62-year drought. So it was just such an incredible season, and especially the fact that the D's had to do it on the road. I mean, they were outside of Melbourne for so long. They had to do the entire final series on the road, the last two games in Perth, on the other side of the country, able to do it away from their friends and family and away from their, their home supporters in Melbourne. But the D's supporters out in Perth showed out, and they, they helped inspire the Demons to win the premiership, and it was just an incredible end to a great season. Yeah, just absolutely incredible. Three game winners. The, the surprise of Melbourne and Sydney both getting into the finals, the falling apart of Collingwood, Carlton again having a lackluster season, just so many storylines that just kept the season intriguing. I cannot wait. And, and then some of the offseason stuff, seeing the AFLW uh, approving all four of the new teams. So then, in not this season, but the next season coming on, all 18 sides, including the Sydney Swans, will be playing AFLW footy, just an incredible, incredible season. Congratulations to the AFL. You got through a year. It was bumpy. It was rocky. It was crazy. But what an incredible season it was. Congratulations to the Melbourne Demons. But really quickly, off seasons, what are some of your some of your thoughts on the off seasons this year? I mean, it looks like Chera could be leaving. We've got several other moves. Um, I know our Swans. Jordan Dawson is on his way to Adelaide. We just don't know which team to. Georgie Hewitt's on his way to Carlton. Kind of real quick. What are your thoughts of this off season and how excited are you? And are you going to start keeping an eye on the draft to see who the Swans pick up? Yeah, you know it's going to be interesting this off season. We're not going to necessarily see as many very, very high profile free agents as we've seen in past couple of seasons. Like we saw Dan or her last year, that whole saga, Papley's saga, where will he go to Carl and will he not back in 2019? And we, we've seen a, a lot of other ones as well. There, there's not going to be as many this year, but we are seeing Dawson's thing with the Crows right now, whether or not George, well, well it was whether or not George Hewitt would leave. And now it's going to be when will George Hewitt leave to Carlton, the, the move of Adam Chera as well. And then, like you said, I think that the draft is going to be very interesting. I mean, it was obviously a, a huge success for the Swans this past draft, getting Goulden and Campbell out of the academy, and then Logan McDonald as well after falling after North Melbourne didn't pick him. So it's going to be very interesting to see. It's going to be Sydney having what looks like right now to be the number 12 pick, if I'm, if I'm remembering right. And it'll be interesting to see what, what selection that they're able to grab. And you might be you might be saying, oh, well, they're not getting a top five pick. It's not really necessarily going to be that impactful of a pick. Well, Errol Golden was pick 21, and he was one of the best, best rising star candidates over the course of the past season. So there's definitely going to be a lot of talent to see who the Swans will pick up. And then it'll be interesting to see up in the top five who goes where. We'll, we'll likely see Nick Dacos going to Collingwood, but the question will be whether or not any of the other teams and how they will – go about picking whoever they get and it'll be interesting to see also like you were talking about with aflw we're going to be seeing a full aflw aflw season before the afl men's season kicks off so they'll be able to get all of their play in and it'll be very fun to watch them go at it and see whether or not whether or not the brisbane lions can back up their premiership and whether or not the adelaide crows will be back collingwood's always going to be tough to play against so the AFLW is going to be very interesting, especially with the addition of a couple teams this season as well. 
Yeah, it'll be absolutely fascinating to see. So I think that is going to do it for our footy. We will take a break for a bit. We might snap back for the for the trade deadline after after trade and free agency period, just to kind of see what we think. We may quickly hit the draft. And then I don't know about you, sir, but I'd love to talk AFLW once the AFLW season goes on, but we can discuss that off camera. So we've come to it, sir. We've come to our favorite part of the podcast, and that is Brad's crazy stat of the week brad what have you got for us this week well we love talking about football so let's go ahead and keep talking football let's go to the gridiron we're going to talk a little bit of nfl here and we saw some history over the course of this past weekend we and especially we saw a couple of game winners at the very end including game winning field goals justin tucker of the baltimore ravens kicking a 66 yard field goal that being kicked from the other side of midfield to win the game it's the longest kick in a regular season game in nfl history so the longest field goal in nfl history and mason crosby kicking a 51 yarder for the green bay packers to win the game after the clock expired and it's the first time in nfl history that two kickers made game-winning 50-plus-yard field goals as time expired with their team trailing on the same day. That's incredible. Another amazing stat, ending it with a bang, sir. Absolutely awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Another awesome chat, Brad. Thank you again for joining me. Definitely. It was great to talk, and I'm very, very interested to see now that we're getting into hockey season, Donnie, hockey is almost here. We'll be able to start talking about that a little bit more as that season gets underway. The Seattle Kraken are getting right back into it. They're going to start off their inaugural campaign. They got games against Vancouver and Vegas to start off, and it'll be very interesting to see how they get on. And then we'll get to talk more and more football, and we'll see whether or not the USA men's national team can get going in World Cup qualifying and get further along down the road of hopefully qualifying for Qatar. Yeah, cannot wait. It'll be exciting. So many things to go. Definitely keep an eye out. We may have an NHL preview show here coming up here the next couple of weeks. I cannot wait. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. If you like what you were hearing, please like, subscribe, let us know. We may be a small podcast, but we have a ton of fun doing this. Just a couple of Iowa boys talking sports. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our episode, and we will see you again next week.